This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture reading will be taken from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 to 25. You can take out your Bibles or you can refer to the screen above. I'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and grey, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, The Lord is witnessed against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, said. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here, because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab, who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned. We have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubal, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, And he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you, so that you lived in safety. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day, the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The Lord, uh, sorry, the people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. 
You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. This is the word of God. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we really pray for concentration, for attention, so that we know who you really are because of the things that you've done. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I went to a museum, and part of the museum trip, you're meant to look at this picture for half an hour. And I wonder whether you'll be able to just sit and uh, look at this picture for half an hour. What do you think uh, the normal attention span is for, uh, uh, for us today, right? It's actually, uh, research has shown that our attention span is like 40 seconds. There is some research where, uh, you know, if you use your handphone, oops, you use your handphone or you use a laptop or you use a tablet, they actually looked at people in real life situations and they found that it was only 40 seconds before they swiped to the next page. That's how long we can concentrate. We use our handheld devices, right? For some people, they actually say that our concentration span is 15 seconds. Now, the reason why they say it's 15 seconds is because if you actually see the popularity of TikTok videos, the average length of the TikTok video is actually 15 seconds because that's where they get the maximum viewership, right? Once you go beyond 15 seconds, you'll notice that statistically, fewer and fewer people will actually end up watching your video to the very end. Some people say that it's actually less than 15 seconds. That if you notice, uh, oh, it was before your time for many of you, but when I was growing up, you know, advertisements used to be like one minute. Use like one minute advertisements. Now that seems really long, right? Can you see an advertisement for one minute? So nowadays, you actually have like the average time of uh, advertisement is about six seconds. Lah. But you know, you turn on your YouTube and then you have those six second uh, advertisements. That's, that's about the average length. In fact, even when you go to the movies, our concentration is actually affected. So do you know when you watch old movies, right? It seems really slow. You ever get that feeling like you watch old movies, it seems really slow? Do you know why it, that is? Because the average short length, right? The, the, the length of the scene, okay? When the, like the, the camera is just focusing and doesn't change, used to be 12 seconds. By 2010, it was down to four seconds. But now it's actually down to, down to two seconds. So if you go and watch like the average Marvel movie or Transformer movie, that's the length of each shot length. It's like one, two, next shot. One, two, next shot. One, two. So you go to watch a movie, right? Any new movie, and that's what it will be like, right? It'll be like one, two, next shot. One, two, next shot, right? You, you may not realize it, but that's how fast the shots are moving. Like, you know, someone, even when someone's crossing the room, after two seconds, there'll be another, another camera angle, right? But actually what they found is uh, when you watch uh, music videos, it's even faster, it's even one second. Right, so if you watch music videos, so, I mean, don't YouTube them now, because obviously I'm, we're preaching, right? 
But if you look at music videos, it's like one second each shot, one second each shot. Even if you watch like the Apple advertisements, you know those Apple advertisements, it's one second, one second, one second, one second. So what they've actually estimated is that um, for the modern human being, our attention span is actually shorter than the goldfish, right? Because they found that actually goldfish can uh, pay attention for like nine seconds, but our attention span is getting less and less. Now there's a problem because if we want to have a relationship with God, then we can't afford to have a spiritual attention deficit. Right? We have to have the ability to concentrate on God for an extended period of time to really know what He's like. Because you can't have form a deep and meaningful relationship with somebody if you can only spend 15 seconds concentrating on what they're saying or 15 seconds focusing on what they're really like. So, we began by looking at the book of 1 Samuel a few weeks ago. And we learned that God's people, as they moved into the promised land, as they occupied the promised land, had suffered a broken relationship with God. We knew that this happened because they rejected God as their king. They were doing whatever they wanted to do. They weren't listening to God. The sacrificial temple system was uh, corrupted. And last week, we saw that they were worshipping idols. So last week, we actually saw this word, Ichabod, right? Where the glory of God departed from God's people. Ichabod. Ichabod actually, in a sense, reflected uh, God leaving his people. But by the end of last week's passage, we see that God returns to his people as they repent to him. And he gives them victory by defeating the Philistines in the West. This is going to be important later, right? Defeating the Philistines in the West and giving them peace under the judgeship of Samuel for many, many years. It's peace, prosperity, security. So last week, we actually saw that at the end of the battle... Samuel actually set up this stone and he names it Ebenezer. Ebenezer means, thus far the Lord has helped us. Now if we look at last week's passage, it's actually a bookend. You know what a bookend is, right? If you also have books and not tablets, you'll know what a bookend is, right? Okay, so the bookend holds the, the books together on the bookshelf, okay? It began with God's Ichabod, the glory of God leaving his people. But it ends last week's chapter with Ebenezer. Thus far the Lord has helped us. And so this is where we begin today's passage, right? Today's passage, Samuel is getting old, and his children are bad, they're wicked. The acorn has fallen very far from the tree, right? They're evil, they're wicked, just like Eli's kids. And so the people have no confidence in his kids. And so they come to Samuel, and they say to him, Look, you're old, and your sons do not follow your ways, now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, actually, there's nothing wrong asking for a king. Because if you look in the book in Genesis, God had actually promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would have kings coming in their line, right? So nothing wrong asking for a king per se. But the problem is they were asking for the type of king. The type of king they were asking for was a king to lead us like the other nations. So in essence, what they were really saying is they wanted to replace God as king with a human king, right? A human king who would protect them, lead them, and guard them. So they wanted to replace God as their protector and replace him with a human king. Now, this is really, really strange, right? And it shows, in a sense, this spiritual attention deficit, right? Because all through God's interactions with his people, all through Israel's history, God had been the one who promised them the promised land, and through the covenant, he made the promise that he would be with them and they occupied the land. Now you notice that actually 
God's people, Israel, are very different from a normal nation. There's no capital, there's no London, there's no Washington, there's no Beijing. There's no standing army. It's not like, you know, most countries, they have a standing army. Israel did not have a standing army. There was no king, right? So they were different. And actually, God had told them that they would be different from all the other nations. But now, they wanted a different king, a different God, a different, in a sense, protector to watch over them. Now, this is really foolish, right? Because as we have been seeing, in Hannah's prayer, which began in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah actually described God as the God who lifts up and protects the glory of his people, right? My horn is lifted high. He's the God who delivers or saves his people. There's no rock security like our God, right? Now, this spiritual attention deficit came about because God's people looked at the nations around them, like Egypt. Egypt at the time was their superpower. Very impressive, right? The pyramids, very big militarily, economically, very wealthy. And so they wanted to be like the superpowers of their day. And so as they cast their eyes enviously on the nations like Egypt, they forgot God, right? They, They forgot about what God had done, and they turned and they wanted another king, in a sense. So they gave God, in a sense, a big vote of no confidence, right? You know, a big vote of no confidence. That's what happens when you lose your confidence in the leader. I wonder whether that ever happens to us, whether you have spiritual attention deficit, and whether you ever give God that big no vote of confidence. I remember studying with many Christian brothers and sisters at university in Australia. We all in Bible study together. We all came together in university church on Fridays and on Sundays. But sadly, when many of these friends of mine came back to Singapore, after they worked for a while, they started saying things like, oh, you know, I noticed my non-Christian colleagues, they are more successful at work. They are happier, perhaps, Maybe it's because they have more free time. They don't have to go to church on Sunday. They don't have to serve. Maybe it's because, uh, you know, they have less distractions in their life. They don't have to worry about being godly. They can take all these shortcuts. But in a sense, that's like spiritual attention deficit, right? Because they forgot about who God is. They forgot about the character of God. They forgot about the things that God had done for them in history and saving them. But what they did was, at the end of the day, they gave God a vote of no confidence. They stopped coming to church, stopped reading their Bibles, and they started looking, at, in a sense, to the Egypts of their life, right? The, the Egypts, the people who seemed more powerful, happier, more successful, and they rejected God. Now, that's really sad, and that's a mistake that God's people made 3,000 years ago. Samuel tries to warn the people. He tells them, look, you're making a big mistake. You're rejecting God. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. We have a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. Now, what's really extraordinary and incredible is the response of God, right? God says to Samuel, listen to them and give them a king. Now, I don't know about you, but I would feel very upset, right, if, if, if my people treated me this way and I'm God. 
After all, we, let, we read last week that he is the only God in the whole world. He's powerful, he's creator, and he's the judge. But yet, his own people, in a sense, are insulting him. They are slapping him in the face. Right? But look at what God does. He actually willingly, out of his grace and generosity, is willing to give them a king. So even though they respond to him by rejecting him and forgetting what he has done for them, he gives them grace. Now, what sort of king then will God give his people? Now, you know, fairly soon we're going to have the presidential elections. I don't know. Maybe most of you, or see some of you on the left side, anyway, will be too young to vote for the presidential election. But it's quite exciting, right, having a presidential election. But uh, some of us here might, might feel I would make a good president of Singapore. Any of you want to stand for the presidential elections? We'll vote for you if we can, right? But unfortunately, there are some criteria or qualifications, right, if you want to stand to be the president of Singapore. Like in case you're thinking of standing, you've got to be like in a high office position for more than three years. You've got to have a company which is worth at least $500 million, like quite a lot of money, I think. And you've got to make money after tax throughout your period of service. So what's the qualification for this candidate who's going to stand for the king of Israel? Well, first thing is we learn he's a very handsome guy. Now that might be helpful if uh, he's uh, in a Korean boy band, I suppose, you know, handsome fellow. We also learn that this guy, he's taller than anyone else. Now, that would be helpful if they played the NBA 3,000 years ago, but I don't think they had basketball then. But then again, you know, maybe it's because, you know, Goliath was a very tall guy too, right? He was a giant. So maybe this guy, Saul, he's also a tall guy. Maybe he's going to make a good warrior, right? Okay? Also, we spend most of chapter 8, 9, and 10 following Saul, but actually, what does Saul do during this time in chapter 9, 10, 11? Well, He's chasing after donkeys, right? That, that's like the main thing he's doing in the whole of the narrative. Like he's like a donkey chaser. So I guess uh, the presidential slogan for Saul as he stands for king of Israel would be tall donkey chaser for president, right? Tall donkey chaser for president. But that's not all, right? When we actually look at the life of uh, Saul as we go along, Seems like quite a forgetful fellow. So, you know, he's out there and they're looking for donkeys. Somehow he has no money. When they can't find the donkeys, they decide to go and look for this uh, seer, the man of God. But, but what happens? Saul doesn't have any monkey, um, not monkey, money, right? <laughs> and he actually has to rely on the servant to give him the money. To pay the seer, right, the man of God. Finally, when they have their election, but actually it's not really election because you can't vote, right? It's just like you're balloting by uh, luck, right? By these lots. Finally, when Saul is elected to be king, what happens? He hides himself among the luggage. Now, this is a very unflattering picture of King Saul, right? Handsome guy, tall dude. 
donkey chaser, a bit forgetful, but doesn't seem to really want the job, right? Actually, when we go through the whole narrative, one of the really surprising things is, by the end of the narrative, he's even not very good at chasing donkeys, right? Actually, his real, I suppose, presidential slogan would be the failed tall donkey chaser, right? Because by the very end of the narrative, he doesn't even find the donkeys. The donkeys are found by someone else. So what is God doing here? Why is God giving Israel this kind of like a no-hoper for a king? Well, again, if you remember Hannah's prayer back in 1 Samuel 2, she said of God, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of God, of honor, sorry. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. See, as we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel, we see there's this pattern that's happening. God raises up the ordinary, the insignificant, the lowly, and the irrelevant, and he uses them for his purposes. So in chapter 1, do you remember Hannah? She was barren, she was a nobody. She came from no, no, nowhere town, but yet God raised her up and gave her Samuel to be the prophet. And now God's doing the same thing, right? He's raising up Saul, the seemingly inappropriate person, to be the king. Now, the narrative keeps going on, and God gives three signs to confirm Saul as the king, right? The first sign is, he tells Saul, look, you're going to go to the tomb of Rachel, and then you'll meet two guys, two men, and they will tell you that the donkeys have been found. And then, you go past the great tree of Tabor, and you meet three guys, and they'll give you two pieces or two loaves of bread. Now, in and of themselves, like, so what, right? I mean, it doesn't really do anything, right? But it's the third sign that's really important, right? This is the third sign. Samuel tells Saul that as he goes back, he will come across a group of prophets. And as he confronts and comes among these group of prophets, something will happen, something significant will happen. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed to be a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart and all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he joined them in prophesying. Now, a few things really being emphasized here, right, by Samuel. First of all, he's a changed person, right? You'll be changed to a different person. It says God changed Saul's heart. Now, in the Hebrew understanding of heart, it's not like our understanding of heart where we like emotion, you know, like very emo, you know, your heart. But the Hebrew understanding of heart is like the whole entire person. God changed Saul's person, right? That's what it's saying. So the first, the first thing we learn is he's no longer the failed, tall donkey chaser. He's now completely different. He's somebody different because God has changed him. He's been changed powerfully, it says, by the Holy Spirit. He's now powerful, not like before. And the last thing is, God is now with him. God is now with him. 
Once these signs are fulfilled, it says, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. But interestingly enough, as we come to the next chapter, we don't actually see, oh, okay, this one, huh? We don't actually see Saul doing anything. His hands are not doing anything, right? Even though he's powerful now, he's transformed, God is with him, we don't see him do anything. But instead, our attention is now turned to this place called Jabesh Gilead. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. Jabesh Gilead is right in the heart of Israel territory. It's like the Topayo of Singapore, right? Okay. Now, the Ammonites, if you look at this map, are in the east. So, last week we saw that the Philistines were coming from the west, and now we have the Ammonites coming from the east. And they're right encroaching into the heart of Israel territory. Now that's surprising, right? Because they appointed Saul, what to do what? To lead them, to fight their battles, to protect them. Nothing happening right now. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash the Ammonite, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. Now that's really shocking, right? Don't forget, the land had been promised to God's people under covenant. This was their land. But yet, they were willing to be subject to Nahash the Ammonite. What's more shocking is when Ammonite, the Nahash the Ammonites replied, I will make a treaty with you, but only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. Now, I think that you sort of see that gouging out the right eye could be because, you know, they wanted to make the people of Jabesh Gilead unable to fight, right? Because, you know, if you gouge out your right eye, then you kind of can't see when, the, when, you know, when someone's going to swing a sword at you from that side, right? But notice Nahash the Ammonite doesn't say that. He says, I want you to gouge out your right eye because I want to bring disgrace on all Israel. Now, this is amazing, right? Because here were God's people, and here was Nahash the Ammonite wanting to disgrace them. But what was more shocking was the elders of Jabesh said to Nahash the Ammonite, Give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. Now, it just shows you how helpless they are, right? That they're actually willing to gouge out their right eye and to make a treaty with Nahash the Ammonite. But notice also that they send out messages to, throughout Israel. But why have we wasted the last three chapters finding out about Saul? Didn't they just appoint Saul exactly for this situation? To fight their battles for them, to go out into battle, to be able to defeat their enemies. But what seems to be happening here is they didn't just have a vote of no confidence of God. They didn't cry out to God. They didn't repent or anything. But they also have a no vote of confidence to the king that God had given them. Right? They didn't cry out to Saul. But what seems to be even more shocking is what Saul is doing. Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind 
his oxen, and he asked, what's wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Now, this is like blows your mind, right? What is Saul doing? He is the king of Israel. In the last chapter, we saw him leaving the coronation with his valiant men. And now what is he doing? He's farming, right? He no longer seems to be this Holy Spirit-empowered, strong person who's changed. He's gone back to like the donkey chaser, and now he's a farmer. So what is the point here? I think the point is that actually having this human king doesn't seem to be doing Israel any good, right? It's like Nahash the Ammonite can do whatever he wants and, and this king is not going to be able to help them. But the passage goes on in verse 6, right? When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen and cut them into pieces and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of everyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. And then the terror of the Lord fell on the people and they came out together as one. You notice here that it is not Saul who is acting, but God, right? The Spirit of God comes again powerfully upon Saul. He's changed again. And the terror of not Saul fell on the people, but the terror of the Lord fell on this people. And they came out together as one. And so what did they do? They came together as one to this place called Bezek. And together they went to confront the Ammonites at Jabesh Gilead. And they won the battle. But after the battle, we're told that Saul and the armies were brought by Samuel to go to this place called Gilgal. Now, why did this happen? They came together to do a covenant renewal with the kingship. See, look at what Saul said. For this day, the Lord has rescued Israel. Right? They made, them, made Saul king in the presence of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. See, this fellowship offerings is a sacrifice that God had said that we must do or they must do in order to, in a sense, celebrate their bond of covenant relationship with God. So what was actually happening here was a bit like, you know, when you go to school in the morning, right, you have your Pledge of Allegiance right, to, to Singapore. And they were, like, in a sense, pledging their allegiance or renewing their pledge to king. But the pledge was not to a human monarch, but rather it was a theocratic king, a king under God, a theocentric king, a king centered on God. Now this is really important for us, right? Because what we see here is that the people wanted a king like all the other nations. But at the very end, what did they get? They got a king, not like the other nations, because it was under God in their relationship with God, centered upon God. And that's what they renew their relationship and allegiance to the king too. Not a king like all the other nations, but a king under God. I think that's important for us, right? I remember many years ago, I was counseling this uh, person who was in our church who said that they felt really spiritually dry or they felt distant from God or they felt that... You know, their relationship with God wasn't so good. And I remember telling this person that they needed to renew their allegiance to God. They need to renew their commitment to Jesus. Renewing your commitment is not an emotion. 
It's not a feeling, right? I mean, when you, when you go to school in the morning, and it's a long time ago, and you make your pledge of allegiance, it's not how you feel, it is a commitment, right? And that's what they were doing. When you renew your, your allegiance, when they renewed the kingship, it's not how they felt. It was a commitment to God and to their king. That's what we need to do, right? Sometimes we need to renew our allegiance to King Jesus. We need to pray to God and say, no matter how I feel, no matter what happens, Jesus Christ is still my king under God and I will serve him alone. And that's what they did that day. Now we come to chapter 12 and God does the last sign. So it's harvest time in Israel and during that harvest time, as you can see, we obviously we don't have four seasons in Singapore, but in harvest time, usually it's really sunny and the crops are growing and it doesn't rain, right? It's not the rainy season, it's the harvest time. God does this sign by sending like this monsoon storm during this harvest time and it's really bad because when you have major storm in harvest time, it flattens all the crops and destroys the crops. Now why did God send this monsoon sign during this harvest time? He did so because he wanted to show them what an evil thing it was that they did when they asked for a king like all the other nations. The people recognized this and they said, Pray to the Lord your God, your servant, in verse 19, right? For we have added to all our other sins the sin or the evil of asking for a king. So the people recognize that they've sinned against God. They've done a wicked thing against God. But notice what God says. God says, yet, right? Yet or but. Do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. Why? Because for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. Consider the great things the Lord has done for you, right? Serve him faithfully. Now this is amazing, right? Because even though God's people had done all this great evil, including asking for a king, God is still faithful, right? For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. And he tells them to not forget, right, to remember, to consider, to reflect the great things he has done for them. You see, God is a faithful God and a gracious God. The people keep forgetting about God, but the answer is to renew their commitment to God, but also to remember, to always remember the covenant, remember the promises, remember God as Ebenezer, remember that God keeps doing these things over and over for them. See, God is still faithful even in the face of their unfaithfulness. It says in 2 Timothy about Jesus, right? Here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. But if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. See, human faithlessness cannot undo or nullify God's character of grace and faithfulness to his people. We need to consider that and reflect on that and remember that. So someone um, has said, right, that this part of uh, the book of 1 Samuel is all about the rise of the kings, right, the rise of King Saul. But actually, I think that's not the right title. This section is really about God's grace in giving Saul to his people, even though they rejected him and slapped him in the face and insulted him, and his great faithfulness to the people, even as 
They choose this king. Someone uh, told me this interesting story and said they would make a good sermon illustration one day, and today is the day. So, someone told me after they had a child that when they were when the child was growing up, right, it was really frustrating as parents because the child would be wailing and screaming and, and crying for milk. And then they will give them a bottle of milk. But the, the baby is like so worked up, right? You can just imagine. I, 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 don't, I guess the sound will be really piercing. And just screaming away. And the, bottle, the parents will be holding the bottle of milk in their mouth with milk in it. And all the baby has to do is just close their mouth and they'll be getting what they need, right? Which is the milk. But the baby just keeps crying and crying and crying for minutes and like don't know how long, even with the milk bottle there, oblivious that actually all the baby needs to do is close the mouth and then they get the milk and then they're happy already, right? In a way, that's like the Israelites and in a way that can be like us, right? God is always faithful. I mean, obviously he's not putting a bottle of milk in our mouth, but he's always faithful. He is faithfully giving us his grace, He's faithful to us. He wants to save us, to protect us, to guard us, to help us, right? But we can't be like that baby, right? God is faithful, but we are faithless. We turn away from him. We turn our back against him. We have this short spiritual attention span. We forget what God has done for us. We forget his character. And so we give God this no vote, vote of no confidence. But we need to learn from today's passage, right? can renew our commitment to Jesus Christ, our King. We need to not forget and consider and reflect and always remember who God is, His faithfulness towards us, the great works that He has done for us, so that indeed He will always be our God and Jesus will always be our Savior and Deliverer. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to ask that you will help us to truly not make the mistakes of the Israelites 3,000 years ago, pray that we will not have spiritual attention deficit where we forget about you, where we are attracted and enamored by the Egypts in our lives, where we give you the vote of no confidence. Your Father, we pray that we may renew our commitment to Jesus Christ, our King, under you that we will remember and not forget your promises towards us, your character of faithfulness and grace towards us, the great acts that you've done for us in history through Jesus and in so many other ways. So, dear Father, we pray for ourselves that even though we are faithless, yet you remain faithful. Help us to see that we always need to only turn to you and you alone, for you are our rock, our deliverer, and our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we've come to the time for uh, discussion. So we have a quick time of discussion today. Uh, you can share with your neighbors what you've learned. I can discuss the two reflection questions here. So the first question is, do you ever suffer from spiritual attention deficit? And forget about God and His mighty salvation for you. And number two, what can you do about it? So we have a few minutes to discuss. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, 
visit us online at busypc.sg.